The Protect Your Net Podcast. UFC Wichita Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night Savages, this is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst whose work you can find at MMAJunkie.com and as well as MMA Junkie Radio. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this. Hopefully, it's before the fight. Uh, as per usual, this will be a pre uh, post Wayne release in about you know 24 hours pre the event, so I, I will expedite it for you guys. As per usual, timestamps will be marked in the show notes in case you're in a rush to cram this in. Uh, mark when I start the breakdown, as well as recapping the picks and results at the end. As per usual, um, first a few notes off the top, which I'm just going to breeze through, guys, because, um, again, once again, later than I wanted to record it. It's my, it's my body knows, man. It's like it's messing with me. I don't know. I actually thought I ate something funny yesterday and then and just was like all wonked out. And like, you know what? I'm going to just go to sleep early. I actually woke up early and got a lot done this morning, which is really nice. Um, been rearranging the schedule a bit. You might notice I haven't been at uh, MMA Junkie Radio as much. Um, trying some new things in the schedule. And, and, and your boy here was just, just in short. You know, maybe I'll expand upon it later when we're not kind of pressed for time. But. But yeah, no, all, all's good. Gonna be be right back at it tonight with them. Uh, but yeah, just just kind of uh, adjusting the schedule a bit, as you can tell. Um, getting these last minute and you know being out of sorts from health and all these things. I just uh, I'm, I'm just trying not to essentially be so stubborn and, and, and make a more manageable plate for Dan Tom. And hopefully you guys will feel the effects of that too, as well as me. And we will all be winners. So it is good. Uh, it is good. All, all good. Don't worry. But I just wanted to address that in case, in case you notice I haven't been around. Um, we had UC 235 last week in town, which was crazy. Uh, but 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 nice. I actually, you know, ha- had a little bit of time to, to see some, you know, <clears throat> uh, media compadres, uh, Mainly the Canadians there, you know. Uh, one of them, Mr. Bronstetter, there found out he was more Japanese than me, which was, which was interesting. But no, good times. Uh, sh- sh- shouts to everybody I see. Shouts to everybody I didn't see too. Sorry about that. Yeah, I didn't go to the event. Just stayed home and watched it. Sometimes it's just the easier way to go about it. We got plenty of good people covering those. And uh, yeah, man, we got washed last week, huh? I mean, Diego Sanchez came through, which was nice. Um, I tied him to a lot of things. Uh, and, uh, I went like six and six on picks, so kind of got washed on my, my, my other dog picks there. Um, and my straight plays have kind of stayed away from favorites, you know, uh, for good reason, some of them too, but, uh, but yeah, and, uh, yeah, Woodley and, 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 you know, Usman, that, that was just annoying because I said, I'm going to be really annoyed if the fight goes this way because this is kind of how I predicted, you know, Woodley to lose, kind of tying in the past history and whatnot, and then sure enough, I picked the other way and what happened, so... That's just dummy on me, but either way, even if I got it right, I wouldn't be uh, braggadociously bringing it to you like uh, I told you so, because that's kind of gross, especially when you 
whether you make a pick or you don't, I don't know. But uh, either way, that was uh, props to y'all if you picked and played uh, Mr. Usman. That was just, oh, feel-good moment, huh? Woodley's mom and Usman. That was just awesome. All the feels this week, Trebek, like that thing, Alex Trebek, that thing got released. Uh, fucking BJ Penn fighting again. I'm like, this is like just too much emotion of sad, uh, happy, and depressing, you know? All at the same time. Yeah, BJ Penn announced he's going to fight again. Yay, that's all I'll say about that. Uh, um, and then, of course, you know, we had John Jones, Anthony Smith, and, uh, and yeah, that went to uh, that went the decision for John Jones. <laughs> My buddy Brian, I'm sure you saw that tweet. He was pretty pissed because he bet Smith. And I was all like, ah, I win either way, man. I, was, I did some for fun parlays, you know, and uh, they actually stacked up pretty nice because I had Diego in a bunch of them and tied with some favorites and other things that hit. So going into it, I had like... I was like, oh, I, I can win a couple hundred this way if Anthony Smith upsets. And, or, uh, you know, all the parlays I had with uh, Jones, I'm like, that, that'll, that'll be good there too. The problem was I had Jones inside the distance. So essentially I was thinking I had action too, which I really did. This was just one of those cards where I was just fucking around, like kind of like, oh, and these were like, I'm talking about like, you know, you know, five, five to ten dollar parlays. People. Like, you, I make the day of, like, just, just for fun shit. Like, I, I play what I actually play on, on the podcast, but, but just for fun shit. And, and the, those actually added up and, and we're all kind of lining up to hit. And of course, the one result that would make me wheel no money from that was a, was a Jones decision win. And sure enough, Johnny Jones, even when I give him the credit that's due, pick him and play him, he still lets me down, man. He's still <laughs> son of a bitch. Anyways, uh, that's it for the U35 recap. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in on that one. Thank you for tuning in to these ones. And, and I do promise, again, things are getting done at a, uh, in this regard. Trust me, just, just getting stuff done in the personal life, too, like, like taxes and truck repair and all that fun stuff that you, know, you just put off and put off and put off. Uh, I'm not going to touch on Punisher or its weird ending or how he just somehow... Cons. Like, I was mad when I found out they were going to not include Punisher. I'm sorry, I was reading off notes here before I get to this breakdown, which I'm going to jump to in a second. And uh, I, was, I was like, ah, you know, this is, um, this is, this sucks, you're not going to renew it. I was, I was digging it. But I, I was going back and I'm like, you know what? I, I kind of remember why I didn't, got a lot of questions. Maybe I didn't like it, strong word, but I'm just like, how many times is this guy going to get shot, fucking stabbed? Like, his whole body should just be scar tissue. Like, at the midpoint of the season. Like, this is ridiculous. I like the beginning of the season where Punisher's getting laid. You know what I'm saying? He's hitting on a bartender. I could follow this story. This is, yes, life after the punishing. All right. <laughs> no, it ends with him uh, assaulting teenagers. So we'll just <laughs> leave it at that, that weird ending. <laughs> Trying to turn him into the Christian Bale Batman. Where's the trigger? Where's it? Uh, but anyways, uh, CNN decades, that's fun, but I gotta get to Deadwood, really, I gotta get to Deadwood and signing up for the Coleman Event Patreon, I haven't signed on for any Patreons for podcasts, there's a free plug for the Coleman Event Podcast, but, uh, but not even for the MMA stuff, just, just for the, the, the Deadwood, uh, it's something that's been, uh, long on my radar, and I actually knew an actor from that show back in the day, and that's another story for another time, we're gonna get to the breakdown here for UFC Wichita. Not quite the Montana territories of Deadwood, but Wichita, there we go. Somewhere amongst the United States Midwest for you uh, non-Americans or ignorant Americans, you know, such as myself. All right, we're going to go from top to bottom like we usually do in this podcast. Well, we usually don't do it that way, but recently we're doing it that way. I like it. You seem to like it too. Uh, as I'm going to pull up the odds, so hopefully they didn't, no, they didn't quite go out, but I got to get to that tab. And it's going to be headlined by Derek Lewis, the Black Beasts versus Junior Dos Santos.
Boy, can I just start off by saying, like, the avoid list is practically this whole card. Um, this would be on it, but it's actually not, but yeah. I ain't playing shit on this one. This just, you know, kind of like Derek Lewis said so himself, and we've seen a million times, this just feels like one of those fights where Derek Lewis gets pieced up or lets, you know, his opponent get his game plan going until he knocks them out. Um... Now, I don't know how juicy that is to play on either side, whether you believe that or not, because the odds are Junior Santos minus 210 right now is your favorite. Everyone's on weight, by the way. Everybody just made a weight. Check just before I got on here. It's kind of the timestamp when this is being recorded. And Derek Lewis, of course, your underdog. Come back on him, plus 175. Oh, yeah, baby. Derek Lewis. Yeah. Sorry. It's just, I, the, automatically, the, the mix between Derek Lewis and the, the juggernaut from the viral old-school viral video. The X-Men always pops into my head anytime I'm breaking down Derek Lewis footage. And it doesn't help, but, like, it would sound like some really crude, like, wow, Dan, why are you just copy and pasting this, you know, this ethnic-sounding juggernaut on a poor old Derek Lewis? But you can't help it because if you watch the clip, like, Derek Lewis pretty much says the same thing as the juggernaut, you know? Like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to fuck. Oh, my suit's so tight. You know, my balls is hot. Like, you know, like, it just, it's, it, there's just way too many parallels uh, with, with the old juggernaut. Go look that up, people. Let me know what you think. Yeah, baby. I also do that with Justin Willis. Now we're just getting a little too ethnic there. But that's neither the case. I love both guys. Unfortunately, Jer Derek Lewis must think, you know, I hate him because I am picking against Mr. Lewis here. Uh, once again, and, 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 you know what's annoying? It's funny. It looks like I, I hate Derek Lewis and I'm always picking against him. But it's like the dynamic is always the same. Like, he's going to get outpieced by his opponent. The, his opponent's more technical in every way. Uh, but he has that one equalizing power and being an analyst and I'm using air quotes because for whatever the fuck that's worth or just, you know, more importantly, kind of knowing how I pick as, you know, longtime listeners probably do. Uh, I'm less on the opportunist side, more on the process side, kind of generally how it goes. I think a lot of, a lot, a lot of, a lot of people who uh, within the similar grind um, are, I don't want to even say wired the same way because that's another argument in itself. I think if you just consistently go through a process yourself as in breaking down these fights you may find yourself that way i mean we all have our proclivities and it comes out in our picks and our biases i definitely have mine but uh but yeah um and you know, the ironic part about that is like one of the times i did pick Derek lewis the i don't even know maybe it did publish but it didn't really matter because like eh, it was before junkie and the fight didn't even happen but uh, I actually picked him to beat Fabrizio Verdum when that matchup happened. Um, for all the same reasons, you know, Verdum can beat him in many ways, but I just thought he was going to knock him out because Verdum just fights careless at times, which puts to put it politely. And then, of course, Derek Lewis is back, seized up. And that's big because not only is Verdum awesome, but uh, he's one of those unheralded greatest ever guys that I used to champion hard, and I kind of dropped that after he got knocked out by Stipe because that was just that. That crucial match. I tend to love heartbreaking stories like that, you know? Like, same with, uh, you know, good old BJ and Edgar. You're like, oh, you know, he gets past this. There's so many. Uh, nope, nope, nope. And they just fall off this hard cliff, man. It's weird. Anyways, falling off cliffs. It's what people do. The fighting game. And we thought it happened to JDS falling off that cliff, you know? Um, and we love JDS. And he was one of those guys, you know, just interviews back in the day. Just lovable. It's the nicest guy in the world. No way this guy would do do drugs. And, yeah, it's popped, and that's fishy. But, of course, if you 
put your own tinfoil hat on or listen to the tinfoil hats of others and go back and rewind that, you know, fight tape. By the way, if you ever go back, I think, like, aside from maybe, like, early eras of the sport, like, in more modern era, if you see TNT pasted anywhere on the mat uh, or on, on someone's fight shorts, obviously, pre-Reebok era, giving that being more of a dead giveaway here for what I'm trying to explain, uh, you can pretty much count there's going to be a roided-up dude in that ring. <laughs> Especially in those Brazil cards. Remember all that TNT? And especially when it's pasted on the fighter themselves. But yeah, that UFC Phoenix, at first, uh, you go back and watch that first fight with Stipe Miocic, man, and Dos Santos. It's just jacked. And you're like, oh, he looks terrible when he goes and fights over him, and then it's a weird fight, and he gets caught. And the fight is less weird as time goes on because you really you look at Overeem's style, and you're like, you know what, that outcome was probably much more. Uh, plausible than we were giving it credit for at the time, right? Because I think when Junior Dos Santos originally called out Alistair, it was when Alistair was on his initial downfall and JDS was still kind of up there. So we, when the matchup finally happened, I think a lot of us still had that in our head. But then there was the layoff. There was that weird time, right? This is late 2015 where guys are making their adjustment period from USADA, we'll just say. And uh, and yeah and yeah he gets he gets knocked out and it's weird the physique doesn't really change too much or too down, but you know let's just say he looks reborn against Ben Rothwell, who we'll get to later in this card, uh, when he fights in Zagreb, and in uh, the performance performance does so too. And this sounds really cruel, like I'm really like putting some. Uh, listen, I love Junior Dos Santos, and, and and but at the same time the guy did get. Get 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 popped by by Usada, right? So I mean, it's not. I don't know how out of play. Um, it is. I'm just. I'm just pointing out the skepticisms of many. Uh, I'm a JDS fan. I'm picking him here. I'm still a fan of his, for whatever the f that's worth. Uh, it shouldn't be worth much because I'm a media person and I shouldn't be a, a technically a fan of anybody. But you know what I mean here, guys and gals and, and women. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, um, his style on paper, you know. It should win maybe seven times out of ten, and even at the stage of the career, I'll say eight times out of ten because he's really quietly added some kicks on. Now, that could be dangerous because Derek Lewis knows how to counter off of kicks, so if he throws those naked, it'll be very dangerous. But Derek Lewis, especially from the body and the leg perspective, he's there to be kicked, so it's really this weird two-way street. Um, and you tend to get more out of it than he does, but... If you do it too long, Derek Lewis will time you come that third round and, and, and smash you, as we saw with uh, Alexander Volkov. So that, that that's kind of a, a, a weird plus negative there. Um, you know, there's always a chance that JDS maybe he decides to dust off his takedowns like he did against Roy Nelson and Shea Carlin, you know, heavy punchers back in the day. Who knows? You know, I said that the last couple of fights, he didn't really do it, so... We'll see, but the weird thing is, too, with Derek Lewis, is I think that... I'm surprised, you know, the line didn't even flip, but I'm not surprised that it, it, it it's closer or got closer because the Derek Lewis hype's always kind of been high for hardcores. Now it's kind of high on the mass population, right, from that from that appearance. But then you got to wonder where Derek Lewis is at. You know, a guy who's always talked about retiring, you can't get a straight answer from. Um, all the answers that have varied have all pretty much ranged around him not training that hard or, you know, citing how poorly he trained before. But then we'll kind of give those same answers, like how hard is he training? Obviously, I, I, he's 
probably training a lot harder than he leads on. You know, the alleged possum playing goes on with his questions, not just his fight style. Um, so I'm not taking that too literally, but you also have to wonder, I mean, how, how serious can you, I can you take the guy on the other hand either, right? I mean, you know, um, normally walking around 285 and, you know, it's, it's back issues. It kind of draws a parallel there, but he doesn't, you know, when, when I asked him about it, when other people asked about it, he seems to blow it off, but you look at it, he, he's not that big of a, he's a big guy, but he's not as big as he's supposed to be. Like, you look at his earlier career when he's hitting, you know, the arm bar, the ninja arm bar in Rakeem Cleveland. Um, or fighting back at Legacy. He's much more slim, but he cites he got some back issues about mid-career, and that's probably when the weight goes on, right? You see him not really go for takedowns much at all, this, this, this USC career, unless they're just like, you know, he's just muscling guys down. It's in some kind of transition. Um, and now he's talking about being at 285, having to cut down to 265, uh, you know, for the last couple of years. And so I don't know, I don't know what kind of gains he's making in that area. And does does the payday? There's a big big payday. I mean, it's a kind of a fast turnaround. I figured a guy like him would sit down on that. He's just coming off a TV show, some other stuff. Life's pretty busy, chaotic. Uh, he was citing some family stuff. Uh, you know, it's it. You, you hey Benjamin. You wonder how how that's going to affect him. How serious does he does he take it? You know, coming in. So it's it's just hard to be sure. I'm going to take Junior DeSantos. No plays here, guys. Long long explanation for that one. But hey, this one's going to be fun. Curtis Melender minus the favorite uh, favorite minus one twenty, and your underdog Elizu Zaleski. Dos Santos, plus 100, kind of stayed there. And I get it. I mean, I, I think the smart move is to stay the F away and enjoy this fight. Who the fuck cares wins? Uh, but it's an interesting one. I think a lot of people are going to be on Dos Santos, whether they're playing him or picking him. One, because he's the dog. And two, he's the more popular guy amongst hardcores. Um, and, and, you know, I, amongst, amongst, amongst many on Twitter, you know, have been championing this guy for not getting the credit he's been deserved. You've heard the cases. He's been buried on prelims. Uh, Dos Santos, the Brazilian. Uh, and uh, now he's finally getting a main card and a co-main spot. Uh, the problem is it's against another good guy who I don't know. How, the style is going to be great for us, but I don't know how great it is going to be for DeSantos. Um, Melender certainly has holes in his game, but I think those holes are going to be, I think we all can agree, will probably be more exposed when he gets to the wrestlers in the division. Um, that's the one thing. Even though Melender's actually wrestled since he was young, like six years old, um, you know, I don't think he did a too far past grammar school, and it's more on the offensive side. Like he knows how to take a shoot a takedown, uh, as we saw against in the fight with CR, and and doing little things too. Like after he gets the secures the double passes to side control, he's keeping his thigh underneath the thighs of uh, Bahar Dazada to hit a shelf. Uh, it didn't really last too long, but it just shows where his mind's at. I mean, so the guy does have skills. Unfortunately, the defensive skills is what seems to be killing Melender. Um, he's going to need to show up for sure. Fortunately, though, uh, Zaleski does, will shoot takedowns, and I imagine he will here, but that's not he's not known for that game, and he's got amazing killer instinct, but the bad part about that is I don't, I don't know how much uh, Zaleski is a, is a game plan kind of guy. So even though he has these skills, and I'm sure his coaches, and he knows that that'll be a good reserve for him to go to, um, I'm not sure how much you can count on, on Zaleski going to that. This is going to be a, a real fight IQ test. Um, because, you know, he, he's beat guys who are long before, have a good jab, can can offer things down the center like a, a Sean Strickland. But that was also early on with a wheel kick, and it was a nice setup, but, you know, he just caught Strickland looking at completely something else. Like, Strickland wasn't even looking. 
you got him looking at the hand with the left to right swivel. But the step wasn't even too hidden. A lot of times it's hidden with punches, with other steps, with other kicks, kind of hide the spin and the turning of the hip. Uh, Zaleski didn't need to do that. Of course, you know, Capoeira being his name, he doesn't need much to spin. But uh, so 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 there's that. But uh, it, you know, he he kind of caught Strickland uh, staring, and that's not taking anything away from that was an amazing knockout. But um, against a guy like Melender, I don't know if it's going to be as easy. Melender, I think, is a better striker than Strickland. He's a more diverse striker. I don't think those are too much of a stretch to say, but more importantly to the point that I'm trying to make of where Strickland's eyes were at is that Melender has really good eyes in, in exchanges. He really has good open eyes in exchanges. Um, you can see that by just looking at where he's focused. He's always keeping his head open. His eyes open in the exchange, even if his hands aren't up, uh, whether his hands are up, whether they're not, he's slipping, he's moving, he's seeing what's coming. You see that by the defenses he uses. He uses a lot of catch parrying and returns. You know, that's something that you see drilled, depending on what 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 schools you're, what, what the kickboxing coach, whatever you're going to. But even when you see those drilled, um, you, you don't, you know, it, you don't see them as applied as much. Um, in theory, it's another tool as opposed to shelling and using the false sense of security of a 16-ounce glove that you won't have with an MMA glove. So in theory, uh, pairing is a good tool to give coaches, which is why you'll, you'll see or hear coaches often give that explanation if they're offering it in an MMA environment. But with high risk comes high, you know, high, high reward comes high risk with those small gloves as well. So when you miss the parries or you overextend, there's always that fear of someone coming over the top. I mean, that's, that's half the reason why some people are afraid to throw their punches in the first place, much less to throw a defense that leaves you in their, in, in, in their slash your mind vulnerable. So he does that really well. Um, and that's kind of proof in the pudding that not only his eyes are open that you can see, but it's working. And he has counters from everything. You've seen that on the LFA regional level, and you've seen it on the UFC level now too. And uh, I picked Bahadur Zada to upset him. And we saw pathways there. And Bahadur Zada, unfortunately, got, got too into the fight himself. So uh, I see uh, Melinda doing that. Obviously, Zaleski not as hot-tempered as Bahadur Zada. But Zaleski's a fucking serial killer. Um, you know, in the video breakdown on Junkie, I was saying he throws ones, twos, twos, threes. I'm not saying that he doesn't throw combos. But against a guy like Melinda, uh, he, he needs to get going first he's get a rhythm he's get a obviously get a guy hurt he knows what to do i just said so but but even to throw his combos he does throw combos but he needs rhythm right he's a cop away to guy especially it's there's so much rhythm needed there in an mma fight in an mma fight you don't obviously have that rhythm to do your dances and side shuffles not that zaleski's trying to do that obviously he's got a really good kickboxing game uh training the shoot box guys um but uh Oh, by the way, I'm so speaking of kickboxing, so stoked to hear that final countdown walk out. So, yeah, I'm a big Mark Hominick fan, and, and, and ever since I heard him walk out to that against H. Blaine, uh, I always just get pumped when a fighter uses that. So I'm really stoked for that. But the problem about having to build toward those combos is those ones, two ones, and one two uh, one to two shots that he has to throw to get there. Those are those kind of perfect shots that I see um, Melender being to counter, especially because a lot of times they're just wide leaping um, hooks. And crosses, he's gotten better at throwing the jab, but even the jab, he, he skips in with the jab, which isn't a bad thing against a taller opponent, especially he's going to need to skip. But everything is a, mm, there's a, there's a whine to it. And against 
the higher level counter strikers, which I dare say Melender is establishing himself as one of those, could be dangerous. Now, both guys have never been knocked out. Both guys, uh, you don't really see Melender hurt too much, but uh, Zaleski recovers well when he's hurt, um, like really well. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go with Melender here. I think I think it's going to be a decision. I think Benning, you know, I wouldn't be surprised for it to end early with well, how hard these guys hit. Again, high, high risk, high reward. Um, but, yeah, it's a smarter play, I think, is kind of keeping your money away from this one. Um, but yeah, pick is, is Melender, no plays. All right, next one. Tim Dirty Bird Means, up to a 210 favorite now. Nico Price, plus 175 underdog. Um, I'm on Means here. I don't blame anybody for taking the shot on Price. But uh, I don't know. Means is one of those guys that you could argue is, was overpriced, uh, to pardon the pun. But it, I think it's because a lot of people, such as myself, give him a lot of respect for good reason. He's a very technical fighter. He is underrated on the ground. But, uh, you know, certain spots in his career have been really crucial. And uh, what kind of... I'm probably going to throw him in a... Uh, by, you know, not a lot of... Uh, no parlay here for me to give out, by the way, guys. So, surprise there. Uh, don't really... You know, I'll, I'll probably put together a fun one. And, and and I guarantee you, it'll Tim means will be a part of that for what it's worth. But it's not something I'm saying to go out and parlay by any means. Um, I do have a play here. Uh, is inside the distance plus one twenty. I did play for good old one point five. Um, just because Nico is killer be killed, and Nico is one of those weird guys. He just looks stiff and choppy, and I didn't get. You know, why action would be in on him even when he was the dog and, and I, I would be on the other side. And he's just one of those guys that would prove me wrong and prove me wrong. And I'm like, fuck it, all right, man. I, I guess this guy's got, I guess he is hyper-athletic and he is a hybrid in the sense of he's learning and doing new shit or whatever. So then I pick him against uh, Vicente Luque, which is so stupid in hindsight. I think it was because Luque was taking it last minute. And again, Nico was, uh, was uh, I think, undefeated or just on this crazy streak at the time. And I was... One of those classic things where you're wrong about a guy so much you get almost that PTSD and you overcorrect the steering wheel on him and then he loses. So where the fuck do you go with Nico Price? And then I think I did pick him against Randy Brown, but very reluctantly. And I'm like, oh, why did I pick him? He's losing. And then he pulls the victory out of nowhere. You're just like, even in victory, you're just like kind of dumbfounded. You're just, I don't understand this guy. And since then, moves away from the American Top Team affiliate, training at home gym. Um, I don't know why I took him against Alzak Al-Hassan. I just thought maybe it would make it ugly. And uh, he did, but it didn't work for him. And uh, it got iced really fast. Um, so I still think, you know, Nico Price can do some stuff in this division for sure and, and be in some fun fights and progress. But uh, even Tim Means being 35 or getting up there, I don't have his age in front of me, um, I got to imagine he... Uh, I gotta imagine he's gonna he's gonna he, he he still he still he still wins this fight you know especially you look at just you know the, the southpaw stance the inside uh, the inside left cross counters inside angles uh, the check hooks the kicks the teeps um, he's no slouch to get on his back but then you got to you know the the, the fight that kind of stuck in my head was initially scared me off was that Alex Oliveira fight. You know, because you see Alex Alex Oliveira, you know, you know, again, similar guys kind of got that 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 retard strength factor, and he's not like a, you know, um, 
he's good enough on the ground to finish. I actually think Nico Price is probably better than Alex Oliveira from a technical standpoint on the ground or more diverse tool, skit, tool standpoint on the ground. But, yeah, you just saw that, and that was a weird performance. But you listen to Means, he's not really a guy to make excuses. That was one of those fights where he, you know, bad weight cut, flights delayed, didn't land until this time, et cetera, et cetera. And um, a lot of stuff went wrong for him in that fight. And if you, you know, between Means' character, his past performances, and his past performance against the same guy, I do think there's some credence to that. Um, not saying it wipes it clean, not saying it makes me super confident. Again, I'm not, he's not, he's not in some parlay piece I'm telling you to go fucking throw in there, but I am playing him for what it's worth. And I think Nico Price's do or die sensibility is going to, uh, get him in some trouble. Uh, liking the interviews from Tim Means too, that I've been hearing going into to, to fight week for what that's worth, but, uh, he knows what time it is. All right. Uh, next fight. Blagoy, even off. Minus 125 versus big Ben Rothwell. Plus 105. I'm surprised Ben Rothwell's not a bigger underdog, being that he's never really gotten respect from the odds makers and the giant layoff. Um, and, you know, say what you want about Blagoy. I like boy, Evenoff. Dan, that's not his nickname. <laughs> uh, Mr. Evenoff, what would you like? Blagoy, um, I like boy. Uh, Mr. Evenoff, we don't serve that here. Okay, I take hamburger then. <laughs> He's just so unassuming. Oh, Jesus. Blagoy didn't do any training camps in Thailand, did he? All right, Dan, don't go down that route. Evenoff, what I was trying to say before besmirching his character, is a deceptively good fighter. Blagoy. And, uh... And, yeah, you know, he, he can counter and come forward from the southpaw stance. Really basic arsenal, but everything you need from a southpaw, at least as far as the right check hook and uh, and left cross. Um, both of which he landed on Fedor, turning his Sambo match and more of a striking match there when you go back and watch that one. But not too relevant here. Um, you know, Blagoy did hurt his knees in that last fight for what that's worth, but... The sad part is, in his last fight against JDS, if that's not inspiring you to pick him, maybe that's why it's not inspiring the public here, clearly, even as a favorite. Um, he did hurt both of his knees. But you go back and watch his other fights, like, there's not much of a difference. <laughs> like, he has his moments. Like, you know, he's like, he's like Tyrone from Snatch. He moves when he has to. He's just never a Tyrone. Of course I am. But, uh, yeah, um, but, you know, he, he's not the most active dude and and Rothwell you know if we're looking at his last stretch of fights before the giant layoff it, it is deceptively active um I don't think he's gonna gas it's not gonna be like that fight for Mark Hunt back in the day um we'll see though he hasn't fought in a while and it sounds like he's sick I don't know um I don't know if I want to say if it was uh I believe it was actually Aaron's podcast. Go subscribe to that the TSN uh, radio podcast. I think just TSN MMA podcast. I think it should come up. But uh, I think Ben was supposed to be a guest and was and guest was sick and couldn't make the interview for what that's worth. And you go look at the interviews posted on MMA Junkie on the YouTube there, uh, where John's interviewing Ben. And man, that was just. I mean, that that, that interview kind of gives some flags just in general because you're just like, oof. Where's this guy's fucking head at? There's some dark shit going on. Like, did did Ben kill people? Is like, did somebody? You, you should we check Ben's hotel room to make sure, like, you know, he's got like 
you know, skin bodies next to the fight kit, you know, hung up <laughs> in the closet. Like, what's going on? But you could kind of hear a bit in his voice, too. But you know what? This is the kind of the time of the year where everybody's, I mean, my voice is kind of, uh, that's from different reasons. But uh, a couple people on this card in their interviews, I, I might have heard some little bit of a uh, little rough Lemmy. And I'm not even talking about Rocco Martin. I even talk about his normal voice, but you know, so I don't know if you can really look too much into that, you know, especially heavyweight, you know, these guys show up and sometimes they don't have to show up for very long. Um, Ben Rothwell is going to have the ground advantage. And I think that just if he's in good enough shape to pressure and can take a couple of even off shots, then it's going to be a good night for Ben Rothwell. If he's not pressuring, and he looks like a deer in headlights or he does pressure and gets stung with something early and looks like he can't maybe rebound then it's definitely going to be a very bad night for Ben Rothwell. However, if he just, uh, you know, I don't want to say just just because uh, it makes it sound simple and it, God forbid anything is there, especially at heavyweight. But if he if he, if he he can just manage to pressure um, and keep his head about him, land some strikes of his own and not eat too many big ones in return, keep that ratio somewhat in his favor, I think he breaks down Blagoy even off, even in three rounds. Um, I think he could take two out of the three rounds, if not force Blagoy to shoot, uh, to try to win the round or to dissuade the pressure. And Ben's got that nasty guillotine. So, um, volume pressure on the feet with, uh, looming submissions, just traps. And I think should be enough to either shut trap Blagoy or shut him down. Um, you can't play anything serious on this. This is on the avoid list for that reason. That being said, I'd be lying if, um, I probably won't be spending only a couple bucks, but again, this is Dan Degenerate betting, you know, the day of kind of shit. Uh, this is on the avoid list in general. I mean, I don't really see, if we're being honest, for you more serious bettors out there, I don't I don't, I don't, don't know how you could be too confident on either guy. All right. Uh, this one, ironically, maybe next to the co-main event, I had the hardest time deciding, was uh, Benil Dariush, minus 200, Drew Dober, plus 170. The line's got a little wider, so I think people have been a little more confident in Benil. And I was too. Uh, I submitted him for my staff picks, but this was one of those ones where I was thinking I might go back and change. Um, Dober is a guy I've always kind of given love to uh, on certain matchups. Like, uh, uh, actually, the last time I did as a dog was against Aubin Mercier. And I'd argue we saw why. Uh, he was able to stick and move and drop him early, but of course, got caught in the grappling. Um, which I got to imagine. A big part of picking people, people picking Dariush, but Dariush, it's so easy to overrate his stand-up because his stand-up was so underrated coming in. And then once he finally started getting respect, he suffered that string of knockout loss, draw, knockout loss. And even, you know, um, so I think that kind of took took the wind out of some people's sails. But you got to look at the competition there. Barbosa, Dunham, who people don't give enough credit for, even late career Dunham is still not an easy guy, unless you were maybe going to the body at the very end there, like that was about it, he was gonna pretty much fight back through anything he showed in that fight um, but but yeah, it's real interesting, you go back at their, you look at their record against Southpaws, like Darius has a winning record against Southpaws, but you could argue that he has a losing record like, oh, this one actually is worth pulling up here, and Drew Dober has a weird record, too, against Southpaws, but more specifically, I would say his record is more weird as far as, like, how much he's won. Like, it, again, sketchy sample size. So, like, for example, um, Ramsey, that was Orthodox off uh, Carlos Orthodox, Rocco Orthodox, Crookshank Switch. 
did well there. Jim Miller, he beats, but, you know, Jim Miller is better than people give him credit for, but it's also a later career Jim Miller. And this is also Jim Miller when he doesn't have his diagnosis. So he's going, He's this is one of the stretches that he cites where he's fighting through the, um, what do you call, uh, Lyme disease. And you can totally see it. Like, he's gas after around here. And he almost submits, he almost finishes, uh, Benil a couple times in that round but the fight mainly takes place on the ground and with all those things I mean I don't know I mean he beats a southpaw there but that wasn't a key striking with a southpaw and that's his and the funny thing is though this becomes his most legitimate southpaw victory and that's early in his career four years ago right because then he faces Michael Johnson gets a split decision let's be honest he probably didn't beat, beat Michael Johnson there I don't think he did so I mean you know, that's kind of a weird one Michael Chiesa loses to him, but he's actually beating him on the stand-up, and Michael Chiesa's a southpaw, although Michael Chiesa, not that great of a striker, and ends up winning the match anyway. So again, fuzzy sample size there. Evan Dunham, uh, you know, he tags him early, but that was an elbow off the clinch. Uh, really, Dunham held, held well and, and proved that by being rocked and being able to still fight and win rounds after that um, in the southpaw versus southpaw matchup. Hernandez, switch stance fighter, but knocks him out from the southpaw stance. Um, Moises will switch stance mainly orthodox and obviously it was, it was a grapple heavy approach so it, it, it's weird and yeah he's got a lot of southpaws to train with but you know I don't know how much he's trading with Hoffa still uh, he's got Gaslam a weight class up so I don't think he's going to be bad against southpaws I'm just saying it's a deceptive sample size when you look at Benil's where Drew Dober it's funny um, you know he's a uh, he lost Alban Mercier, who was a southpaw, but again, he was beating him on the feet. Knocks out Jason Gonzalez, who's a southpaw, so, you know, there's that. Leandro Silva's a southpaw, but he's goofy. He'll switch stances. He just does weird things that I can't understand. I wonder how many times I try to break down Leandro Silva. And, of course, he, he landed that brutal guillotine, right, on Drew Dober for the no contest anyways. Uh, loses to Nick Hine. Um, that was a short-notice fight. And uh, he got cut early, but was you know was doing all right, but just kind of running into the same stuff. And that was early Drew Dober, Sean Spencer, uh, orthodox boxer, loses to him. And Tony Sims beats him, who fought a lot from southpaw stance in that fight, switch stance. And if you actually go back and watch that, as before UFC, I, 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 I'd argue Tony Sims won that fight. So it's like between, you know, between Drew Dober, that the fight that got, being questionable that got him in to his win over Scott Holtzman in 2016. You could argue that he didn't want to fight from there because he has the no contests and is the only thing other than a loss. And Jamie Varner, where I think, isn't that the one where Jamie Varner, that was like Jamie Varner's last fight, you know, and Jamie Varner's like ankle gives out in the first couple seconds and he kind of just falls into a rear naked choke or something like something like that. I mean, yeah, I mean, but, but credit to Doberman. He's turned it around. And I think that's what kind of catches people by surprise. And... Um, I picked him against, yeah, I, I think I picked him in his last three. And, I mean, he probably should have won those fights. The Camacho probably being the hardest, and it showed It showed because uh, that thing could have you know gone either way. It says unanimous, but that was a competitive fight. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 you know, just, I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting. Benil just seems a little much more mature, you know, interviews now. He knows what he has to do. He's... He said it well. He's like, you know, Dober's trying to put on a fight. He's like, I'm trying to win, win fights, you know. He's kind of learned his lessons already. And he's always been a smart guy, so it, it makes sense. Um, and, uh, and and I like where Benil's head's at, whereas Drew, I like that he's confident. I like that he's coming into his own. 
But then you kind of, I get kind of an impression that as to why, you know, he's talking about a new management and, and this and that. And you see him like taking all these like, Instagram photos and more than he usually did before, like trying to do stuff with his hair. And I'm not saying he wasn't like a, a good looking dude or, you know, dressed terribly or anything like that. But you can just tell he's putting a little more into that. Um, and I love him because he's such a respectful martial artist, but he's also saying a lot of things where you can you can tell when someone's being coached to say something, and and we're seeing more of that. The more high level management gets into this game, they're they're really gonna coach their fighters and how to speak. That's something that goes down behind the scenes, people. Um, and uh, and and yeah, so I, I don't that always kind of worries me, right? You know, three fight streak. Are you thinking about stuff that's not as important? You know, um, it's it's a real double-edged sword there where I kind of like a guy with Benil's mentality. And he's got more ways to win the fight. Um, and, uh, you know, Dober's wrestling is underrated in the sense that I can tell he's made active improvements. He's more athletic of a guy. But I look at how Benil gets takedowns, man. Don't don't let his uh, his no-ass structure fool you. His, uh, as Angela Hill says, looks like you know, Benil that usually has ass surgically removed. And uh, but don't let that fool you. The guy, the guy's got some pop. He can change those levels and uh, not just take you down. But it's he, as soon as you pop up, he, he can take your back. And uh, I can see him hunting that back when Dober goes to scramble up to his feet here. So I'm going to go with Benil. Um, I don't think I'm really going to play this fight. Maybe I'll play an over. What's what's over at now? If I do this, maybe I'll do an over or something minus one ninety two and a half or something like that. I don't know. I'm doing a for fun parlay, but really, I'm not. I'm not playing this one, guys. All right, next fight: Omari Ahmedov, Durka Durka Jihad, minus one thirty-five. <laughs> Ahmedov, sorry, this is Tim Bosch, America plus one fifteen. Is my buddy Steve Cruz who got me into MMA said uh, Tim Bosch looks like the kind of guy as we were looking at the UFC Fight Night thirteen weigh-in photos back in the day. Well, look at Tim Bosch, man. It looks like he just—he looks like he's got a beer in his hand, even though he doesn't, because he's just that kind of a guy. And that was the infamous uh, Tim Bosch, Matt Hamill rape choke fight with the UFC Fight Night 13. But that's why it's such a legendary card. So much happened on that card. And Tim Bosch is still around, man. And and he's one of those guys where he's talking about retirement, and it doesn't worry me, you know, the way he's talking about it, and it makes sense for his career. And you look at it, man, the way he's kind of fighting. Like he knows he's not going to be a world champion. He's just fighting once a year. He's got his other businesses and. He's already been kind of doing the, you know, uh, away from the big gym approach for a while now. So I'm not too worried about that. Although, I guess that being said, he's not even been training in his normal gym in Maine. He's been training more at his home gym. So I don't know if it's going to be a <laughs> the old the old Glover Glover's Garage reference two two or what or what. But uh, by the way, like. If someone wanted to make, like, low-key MMA shirts, you know, that were just, like, they look like normal, like, not, not Abercrombie and Fitz shirts per se, but, you know, they look like normal shirts, but they they were just kind of subtle cues to, like, MMA, you know? Like, like I could totally see that being one, like, Glover's Garage, Estate 19, you know, Estate 2013, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, how cool would that be? <laughs> Glover's Garage. By the way, listening to so yeah, I don't. I'm not too worried about it. Though listening to Tim Bosch's interviews, uh, he sounds like he's in a good place. Although what, what did kind of worry me, I don't know if this was with James Lynch's interview or, or someone else's, but he uh, he's talking about his business and he was like, yeah, you know, it was uh, selling snowballs out here. <laughs> it's like what, Tim? 
And he like references it. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm slinging snowballs out here, and people seem to be liking them. You know, uh, and you know, it's like it's like, oh, they, they you know, they, they taste good. You know, like making people happy. And I'm just like, holy shit! Cause I'm, you know, I grew up in the age of clerks, where you know, snowballing is. Uh, Oh, Jesus. Do I have to really have to explain snowballing to you kids? Anyways, it is. I think Tim gets like literally like it takes him like four or five questions in before he finally like says shaved ice. I'm like, thank you. Maybe I come from because I come from Hawaii where we go, oh, you got shaved ice, Matsumoto's, the North Shore. But yeah, shaved ice is how at least I'm familiar with it. I'm like, oh, shaved ice is what he's selling because Tim, especially <laughs> looking the way you look, you're telling, saying you're going around Maine selling snowballs. I mean, Dan Tom's head and perhaps others are going to go in other places, you know, especially if they've seen the movie Clerks. He likes what? Having it spit back in his mouth? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anyways, you listen to the interview with that in your mind, it, it becomes hilarious. And uh, low-key on MMA Junkie Radio, if anybody ever says something with sexual innuendo, if, you, if you're looking at the uh, the live stream, most times you'll see Dan Tom just kind of nod his head doing the, yeah. <laughs> Because I'm nine years old uh, with my humor. That's why, folks. Anyways, uh, I didn't think I broke down anything in this fight. Um, both guys haven't fought in a while either. I like this style, and Tim Bosch seems to like it too. Seems to have him broken down pretty well. It's a power double. It's um, check right hook, left overhand, or check left hook, right overhand. Power doubles from Omari Akhmedov. He's training at American Top Team. He's always trained at big gyms. And he's always kind of had a propensity to gas a bit. Um... He's had a couple surprises at 170 and 185 where him just outlasting his opponent seemed to either get him the win in the Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, just outlasting, or um, at least get him a draw with Marvin Vittori, I believe, last time we saw him. But uh, I don't know, man. I think that if Tim, it's not the safest bet. It's going to be crazy, especially that first round, and Tim knows it. But if Tim can get past that first round, or maybe he even ices him in the first round if he catches him right, but Tim's a better mover in general. Um, something to forget about him. You look at the way he looks on the scale. You forget that he's a pretty active guy for his size. And I think it's going to do him a lot of favors in this fight. And he's aiming for the second round finish because he knows Omari gasses. I'm thinking more of a third round. That's right, D-Love. That's right, Derek Love. I played round three, Tim Bosch. Uh, minus 900, uh, plus 900. I just, I just threw a quarter unit on that. And I actually even threw it a little bit smaller than that just to... <laughs> A really small on, on round two, just in case that does hit. So I sprinkled on both, but I also played both straight up, just just with 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 the straight up flat unit at a plus one fifteen. So uh, I like both here, man. Uh, call it, you know. I, I know I've, I've been kind of bad at a lot of these fights where you know you pick the pick the the veteran guy to upset, uh, but I don't think this is too much of a stretch here, especially against uh, Dirk Dirk Jihad. <laughs> That's terrible. Ahmed <laughs> off. All right, next fight. Anthony Rocco Martin, minus 210 versus Sergio Moraes, the Panther, plus 175. The happiest guy versus the most, like, chip-on-the-shoulder angriest guy. What did they do? They paired him together, baby. Um, I uh, I don't know if I've been hard on Martin. I think Martin's I think Martin's been hard on your boy here, if anything, in the past. But no, no, I've, I've picked against him before, but I felt like I've had good reason to. That said, I think Rocco's really, uh, really, really, really proven himself, man. At one seventy, come to life, been one of the more, uh, one of the more 
uh, funner success stories, more fun success stories uh, as far as guys moving up in weight. Obviously, he hasn't done anything huge yet, but he's putting together a winning streak. Could very, very, very well be on his way, folks. I am picking him here. That being said, it does feel like like a trap fight. I mean, I like uh, Martin's straight shots down the center against Marais. I think that's going to work well for him. It did against for Means, although they didn't really score a lot of his strikes, unfortunately, um, because Marais swings big. But, you know, listening to interviews with Martin, sounds like he's in a good place. Um, real fun interview there with him and Kayla on, the, on uh, Legends Channel there. Uh, but also kind of some giveaways, too. That's what I always love about having girlfriends in the interview or in the studio. It, even when they're not in the interview, or they're sitting off to the side, like when we're doing a junkie radio, for example. Whenever questions get lobbed, you can always look at the girlfriend as a truth detector. Ghost says this all the time. Because they will kind of nod, uh, like, if the, if you're if you're on, or, on point or not. Like, they'll kind of give a look, you know. And guys, guys in the relationships know, know this. They're all... all your ladies are always calling you out on your shit, right? And uh, and it was funny. Some of that was going on. So, the, In other words, they know that uh, Martin's got to keep his hands up here. Um, Marais is real underrated in that sense. But he can also be hit, too. He is getting older. Um, and, and Martin, you know, is showing that he can stop guys later in his career. Grappling-wise, I don't think he wants to mess with them, though. You know, he said it his best himself. He doesn't want to get into a pissing contest with Marais. Um... And I can see why. I mean, that's kind of why people like myself are so big on Marais against Ben Saunders. I love Ben Saunders to death. A lot of us do. Uh, and he's a talented grappler. First guy to get on a Plata uh, finish in the UFC. Um, black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But there's levels to it. And Marais is on a different level now. Uh, you know, Martin said it's not in the gi. And that is true. But I would say Marais, he is so goddamn good in the gi and has shown that he can finish in crazy scenarios. He just hasn't pushed for jiu-jitsu cause it's probably because his wrestling's not that great. But when he's on the ground, it doesn't matter that he's not in the gi. He can submit. And more importantly, you know, uh, in his last fight or second to last fight, I don't have in front of me, but Marais shows he, he, can, he can control when he needs to as well. Um, he will play, you know, uh, positional-based and boring jiu-jitsu to win a round. Um, he, he's shown that he can still do that. And against a guy like Martin, when you look at, at, when he looks at, you know, guys who are smaller at 155 and less grapplers in his mind, being able to do that to Martin, that was a different Martin granted, but I'm just saying that I got to imagine that Marais is going to draw confidence from that. Um, will he get Martin down or anything? I don't, I don't know. I'm not counting on it. I'm, I'm picking Martin here, but something about this feels like a trap fight and a, I kind of wish I picked Martin back when he was getting the dog odds because uh, minus 210, I mean, if you if you got him lower, if he was lower, I don't blame you there. But for me, that's too high of a price. So I'm going to stay away. In fact, I may, who knows, maybe I'll sprinkle an old Sergio um, for the upset because this just feels like a trap fight if that line gets super high, if it keeps getting inflated. It's uh, not super high, but for me, for what this matchup is, too high for me. I'm staying away. Um not necessarily in the avoids list. If you like an angle on there, I, I don't blame you. But I'm not. Uh, I'm avoiding it for now. So, All right. Yana Kunitskaya, minus 185 uh, versus Marion Renault, plus 160. Was actually leaning toward Renault, uh, especially as a dog going into it. But, you know, between Yana showing her wrestling improvements, Stream Couture actually showing uh, upgrades there. Uh, in her last fight to Marion Renault, kind of just dropping the ball. 
Uh, Kazingano, people don't give her enough credit, but still, you know, drop the ball and dropping for guillotines or, you know, not getting back to her feet, seceding bottom a little too much. Uh, that being said, I like Marion Renault's energy in this interview. It sounds like she's really up to training partners uh, from before, which says something. And really showing up those holes. Really, you know, she's smart, mature. Uh, a lady, she knows she knows what she's got to do. She knows where she fell short. So that's a good sign if you're a Marion Renault supporter. But at the end, it's just too close to call. Ended up signing with uh, Yana, or as I say, Mama Kunitskaya. <laughs> Sorry. Them Russian girls, what can I say? Um, mama. <laughs> uh, any, any name I can, any girl, female name I can, I can, I'm not trying to sexualize these, any female name though, I can, I can parlay with mama, I will use it. Like, I'm a fan of Rose, but not, not necessarily a fan like that, but even Rose, I'll be like, Rose, mama, Junis. <laughs> I don't know why it's fucking, it's terrible, folks. I have no friends and you're listening to my, uh, <laughs> My mindless, the mindless things I shout at the screen when uh, when I watch analysis to entertain myself. That you guys are getting a taste of it there. Anyway, so um, you know, inner kickboxing, you know, it's it's it, it's obviously up to par. Um, I, I imagine that's going to be better too. She's training a lot of, lot with Ray Sefo uh, on the pads. We'll see how that works. But uh, I'm going to go with Yana Kunitskaya, and that's not even because she trains at Extreme Couture, although. Your boy will be getting back in there soon, and uh, that'll be interesting. I feel like the new kid again there. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> I try to find my, 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 my you know, uh, the people that are still around from when I was taking class, because I've been there for a fucking year, but, uh, but yeah, that'll be interesting. Hopefully, uh, fighters that I picked against don't see me, and, uh, hey, Dan, you want to roll? Oh, shit. Sure. <laughs> All right, next fight. Speaking of extreme couture homering, you could accuse me of that here. Grant Dawson, minus 175. Comeback on Cameron from Ferris Bueller. Julian Arosa, plus 155. <laughs> My dad's going to kill me. This is Sterling Peterson with the Chicago Police Department. Shouts to the uh, old school uh, Ferris Bueller fan. Nine times. Nine times. Um, that was a great, great drop there. Nine times. Um, yeah, uh, Grant Dawson. He looks really solid all around. Those prospects coming from the uh, Glory of Fitness, Glory MMA and Fitness Gym, and James Krause there. It looks all around, man. Um, forgot to check if he has any wrestling or not, but it's got some solid wrestling. Looks like he knows what he's doing on the ground for sure. Solid kickboxing. Just one of those kids solid everywhere, man. I can see why he's the favorite here despite the less experience. Uh, the record's definitely much more impressive. But honestly, I, I did forget the extreme couture stuff. I would, I would go with Arosa anyways. I know I'm going to be going with the same theory that got him iced against Devontae Smith. But as we can see, Devontae Smith, uh, pretty special, more than just your one-punch guy um, as well, I would argue. Uh, so I think that will age better for him. Rosa really only been stopped twice. Kind of relies on his chin too much, which is why in hindsight he's got gotten too much trouble in that fight. But now he's he's back at 145, massive for the weight class. Uh, full training camp too. Um, you know, uh, 
I, I, you know, you guys say this a lot, but I believe he's one of those guys that says he hasn't lost with the full training camp. We'll see about that. But either way, full training camp, a good, a good sign. Sal Paul, weird style, hard to get ready for. Uh, although, you know, he's probably got James Krause. Probably makes for a good, uh, good partner there. Um, still, though, uh, you know, Arosa's kind of hard to catch. Even if he does catch him, will Dawson be able to submit him? Arosa has not been submitted. He's working with some really good grapplers down there at Tour. i got to imagine his striking is only going to be more conservative coming off of a loss like he just did. And another thing that troubles me is most of Grant Dawson's wins are in the first round. If not, he gets it in the second. And not only in all of his Pro 13 Pro fights, but even in his six or so amateur fights, he's never been to a third round. So I don't know about making your USC debut... Uh, off of a big layoff uh, and not even seeing a third round. Those are things for a guy like Dan Tom that'll make me kind of, you know, again, a more of a process and opportunism. Uh, with that kind of a mindset, I don't necessarily hit the fade to hit the fade. But if I do, there are certain factors that draw me to it. Like we all have factors that draw us to hit that fade button. That's one for me. So I'm going to go with Julian Arosa, who I think his percentages will be much higher if he gets out of that first round, especially if he gets out of the first round um, unstung with anything serious. All right, next fight, Jeff Hughes, up to a minus 225 now. Maurice Green plus 185. Uh, I guess I see why. I didn't do too much tape study on this one because Green was the guy that came off of the Ultimate Fighter series, so I barely even researched his last fight, and then I just watched that. Obviously, he fought Glory before that, but also one of those you know tall guys who, I think the the leg dexterity and and the long limbs parlays to the submission game, and they find they have a good submission game because uh, you know with help from their opponents because their opponents see a, a big uh, brooding black gentleman and they don't want to stand with him. No, uh, they probably know he's a striker from Glory, and they they probably want to take this guy down. And we see that with a lot of strikers, um, you know, and, and they subsequently develop a good ground game because of that. You know, uh, Martin Campman, one of the early guys who ended up being one of the most well-rounded fighters, but he came from Dutch, uh, Dutch Thai boxing. And uh, he, uh, you know, th you know, through that, you know, some fighters pick up on it and some obviously don't. Right. But these uh, surreal Diabates and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, who even believe? I think even he had some submissions on his record. But anyways, neither here nor there. Um, Jeff Hughes, yeah, one of those guys doesn't look just like a guy you might you know you see at a gas station loading up his truck, right? But he, uh, as far as MMA heavyweight goes, he's a fucking prospect. No. <laughs> no, but we've seen it before. You know, kind of uh, you know the six one, six two, maybe even six foot, not physically impressive guys. Can come in there and wreck shop if they know how to box, scrap. They've got that mentality, got a bit of wrestling, and they got that fighter's mentality, man. Uh, they could take some shots. And um, I think Jeff Hughes is that guy. I think he's going to be a real deceptively tough dude. You know, he's kind of modeling himself after that Steve A model that wrestle, boxing, wrestle. He knows what to do in the clinch. He, he strike well off those clinch breaks uh, from what I've seen. So, yeah, I think he's going to be one of those dudes who is going to generate those minus 200 numbers despite being a lower-level heavyweight against mid-to-lower-level um, UFC heavyweights. And then we'll just see a big drop-off whenever they throw him in, in there, which probably won't be long if he wins one or two uh, against a bigger heavyweight name. But for this fight, I'll go Jeff Hughes, but 
I don't know if I want to touch this, man. And if you guys see something that I don't, uh, I put this on my uh, avoid list just because it's heavyweight. Um, didn't do the deepest dive on these guys, uh, but but I have I studied Jeff Hughes before. I even wrote him up on my uh, contender series there, uh, grading the winners. Um, and gave him a favorable grade there as well. All right, next fight, Luis Smolka, minus 125, Matt Schnell who looks just like listener of the podcast, John John Rico, plus 105 is the comeback on him. Uh, always got a soft spot for Matt Chanel, maybe because he looks like my buddy there, John John Rico. Uh, also, just a sweet dude when he came in the studio. R- 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 he can't help but uh, not like the guy. And you kind of see why so many fighters like him and take him in. And he is kind of a self-admitted nomad himself, so he kind of travels around and training a lot at the CSA with the... Uh, which is a really good camp in Northern California there, as well as getting a little bit of work in AKA from what it sounds like. Um, Terman doesn't have to cut the weight, though he's not the biggest 135 despite his frame. Uh, Smolka is a guy that was would fit more well under the frame, and it sounds like he is too. I always seem like it, man. It just seemed way too enough. I mean, the guy's fucking my size, 5'9". He's cutting to 125. Like, what the fuck? So 135 is at least a little better. Um, he's training with... Uh, Colin Oyama down there, Team Oyama. So, uh, whereas, uh, it's funny. He's training with Colin Oyama, whereas a Matt Schnell, Darren Oyanoyama is his grappling coach, uh, UFC vet there. Um, Japanese guy, brah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I actually got, I got, I got Luis Smoka here. I've been a big fan of Smoka. I was surprised to see this number. Um, maybe because, you know, the, the, the sketchy stretch for sure, you know, uh, he goes over to China to get a win, but I mean, even even for people that were sketchy, if he would get that win or not, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, Smoko, he could probably even lose to lose to the Chinese guy, but then if he beats him, Sumaderji, uh, I don't know how much credit he gets, and I think that was the keys here. Um, and yeah, he lost the quality guys while being, you know, boozing it up and just uh, not really taking care of himself. Um, and Schnell, Schnell, I don't know if I picked him against Naoki Inouye. I think I picked Inouye, but Schnell was certainly live there, man. Uh, I do remember that, and he proved that he got the split. Good for him. Uh, beat Beltran for what that's worth, but I don't know, man. I, 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 I like Smolka here. Um, I like him straight up, and then hearing the, an interview with Schnell where you're saying I'm working on bad positions, the positions I could see myself in a fight. And I know exactly what he means by that. Against Smoko, that means mount and back mount. And he should be working on those things, but the fact that, that that's one of the first things that he's saying or that he's admitting that at all is kind of a flag for me because I, we've, seen, we've seen a lot, at least I have, where a guy in camp can work too much of the bad positions and the worst case, you could do too much worst case scenario work where they just have the worst case scenario in their head. And uh, I wonder if that could happen with Matt Schnell. Um, especially in a fight that, regardless of where his mental state's at, I do see Louis Smoko being able to get into these entanglements. Um, Matt Schnell can certain, it certainly has the techniques to sting him and stick and move on the feet. But he's going to have to, in my opinion, aside from obviously like score a knockout or something crazy like that, he's going to have to really sting him hard and get him off his game in that first round 
Otherwise, I see Smolka in rounds two and three kind of just a snowball effect, possibly finding a finish. But for minus 125, I mean, call me crazy. something maybe I'm missing here, but I, I took the shot on Smolka. Uh, he's one of the few chalks I took straight up, so I, I put 1.75 for one, one minus 125. Um, yeah, I took a shot, you know, on that one. So, uh, it just, it just, I don't know. It didn't seem like that crazy of a fight or volatile of a fight to me for that close of a line that doesn't match up. So I'm, I'm gonna go with Smoka. All right. Um, next fight may have another play too. That's right. Alex Moreno minus 175 versus Zach Otto. Oh, the barb. Oh, fuck. Fuck that. Oh, I'm really glad about this play now. You can't be the barbarian with Tim Bosch in the league, especially now you're on the same card as Tim Bosch, Zach. Plus 155. Um, I love Morono's attitude, and for that guy to not like a dude kind of says something. And uh, I don't know, like, I, I never really kind of saw it before. And it's funny, man. I never saw it before. Between Zach Otto's last fight, the commentary, which could seem unfair, to Alex Morono talking about Zach Otto, which... I don't know if it could seem unfair because Morono's such a fucking well-spoken dude. Um, but <laughs> things that I usually wouldn't bite on or anything, I, I kind of see that, you know? Like, uh, nothing against Otto at all, man. Um, even when he knocked out my guy, Mike Pyle, uh, you know, all respect to him, man. We had him in, in, our, in, our, in our studio uh, before that fight to interview. He was a super respectful guy. But in some interviews and some things, I don't know what it is, maybe... I could kind of see that arrogance sometimes in that about him that kind of pissed off uh, Morono that made it personal for him here. And that does worry me because Morono uh, can get too aggressive in tunnel vision. Uh, we saw that in the Jordan Mean fight. The good news is he was very critical and very aware of what he did wrong. And, and, and he had a really good explanation because you're like, well, how could this guy forget how to grapple and get up? And he admitted he was so tunnel vision, he kind of got away from that. Now... I still kind of get worried about in future matchups for Alex Moreno because, you know, he's talking about wanting to kickbox and go to Thailand. Maybe he almost did some stuff with Glory, I believe. And I'm looking at him, and I know he has the Taekwondo background, and he loves to strike, and he's got some deceptive power. But you look at him, and you're like, I don't know. He doesn't scream striker, you know. He's more of a – I think his strength is being a scrapper in an MMA fight and having that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt to where he can – make things scrambly on the ground just like he makes it scrappy on the feet and make it a dog fight like i don't know there's a lot less dog fighters in high level striking um and we don't have the obvious athleticism and reach and other thing other attributes i don't i don't know that anyways but i'm not trying to criticize morono here or anything but what i'm saying is if a guy has that in his heart, you got to worry about when he faces more heavier hitters. Like if you put him against like an Azak or Hassan, for example, which I don't think would happen. I think they're both. Um, I don't even know if Azak Hassan's training at Fortis or not, but uh, but yeah, he's training at Fortis now, which is good. That's another thing. Morono wasn't was running his own camp, self admittedly. Now he's under Safe Sayud, and he's got that. And I understand, man. You you perform better when you when you have that good relationship with the coach. And that's something so important. It's so not rare, but it's not talked about enough, especially in these kind of analysis where we're breaking down fighters and their abilities to perform because most fighters don't have that. And that's the scary thing, and they're still out there performing, guys. So when a fighter does, it's a good thing, and I think we're going to see more of that from Morono, more uptrend uh, from him in that regard. Uh, again, 
Is he going to be a world beater, a rank guy? I don't know about that. But against Zach Otto, I think so. Because the other thing about Zach Otto, and again, I'm talking about the arrogance thing or whatever, those, which may sound arrogant of me to even kind of humor, but it was something that was spoken about in interviews. And I'm just saying I could kind of see it because it parlays into another criticism. Uh, he was getting kind of in his last fight, which I was with the media for that. I, I, I kind of narrowly scored it for Grant. It wasn't a robbery, but I did score that for Grant. Uh, of course, Zach Otto got the hometown split. But, you know, it almost sounds like, which oh, definitely could happen, you know, um, unfair analysis or what, whatever, what have you. Um, but they're saying it almost looks like, you know, Zach Otto's scared to get hit or doesn't like to get hit. That's like a serious criticism, right? Like, you don't just throw that one out lightly. But we've heard it thrown out in champions or big athletic guys, and it's held to be true like a Brock Lesnar, right? So it's not that it's an unfounded or un- necessarily even unfair criticism to throw out there. And you really looked at it, and they're making a good case for it. And it was something that I didn't really notice. And you go back and watch Zach Otto's footage, and yeah, there is a little bit of that, you know? He is a guy that maybe needs things going his way. And you look at it, you look at the way he's kind of managed his career, kind of running businesses, kind of fighting at his own pace, wanting to be in control. Maybe he's type A, comes from Air Force Academy, military, played football. Maybe he has the jock ego. He's used to being the strong man. And we see that all the time, man, when that, that do you not, mm, I don't know, when, when the guy doesn't show that he's scared, he's got pop in his punch, and he's in your face. If that is the case, then Morono, for all his criticisms, could be a terrible matchup for Zach Otto. So I played Alex Morono, 1.75 for a minus 175. He is the second and only to, uh, closing off the official straight plays, uh, which I will recap here at the end. I got Alex Morono. All right, last but not least, we got Alex White, who, I mean, you want to talk about serial killer sling blade. Here you go, folks. Minus <laughs> 140. Sling blade. Uh, Dan Moret. Fucking six degrees of separation. Low key, Dan Moret plus 120. Will Dan Moret finally beat somebody who has. UFC in their resume and therefore putting a UFC win in his resume or will Dan Moret continue his trend of only losing the guys who have UFC somewhere in their resume no matter how poor they were no matter what weight class they fought at because somehow Dan Moret who's a big 155er at six foot somehow is a loss to, to Luke Sanders mine <laughs> I know Luke Sanders used to fight at 145 which is only division apart but man it's like did Luke Sanders just take a short notice fight, not cut any weight, and walk in at one fat at one fifty three? Whereas like Dan Moret killed himself to get there one fifty six, and it was one of those fights. Somehow Moret still lost. Like I don't know. I didn't go back and watch that one. I don't even know if it's available. But I have watched Moret stuff before, and I actually wanted to play him here, guys. Um, I may. It's on my fights to avoid, but I'm actually picking picking uh, White to get back on track here. Must win. He has been traveling around the train. Although by the sound of it, I don't know how organized that traveling really has been. Uh, you know, or how long it's been. So I don't know what to expect from that, folks. But he's trying to get out of his comfort zone for what that's worth. You know, fortunately, he's got a mixed record himself against Southpaws, which is what Dan Moret is. More specifically, Southpaws who maybe want to grapple with him, right? Uh, uh, so... Uh, that's what Dan Moret's going to want to do, get him against the cage. Dan Moret's got plenty of southpaw. In the southpaw for southpaw matchup, I actually favor Dan Moret. He's training the MMA lab. They've got a lot of southpaws there. Uh, maybe one less without Brian Barbarina, but he's got guys like Benson Henderson, who he has been training with and whatnot. Um, 
you know, uh, Alex Caceres, other guys, a lot of southpaws in that camp. So, um, I, you know, Moret sounds really dialed in. He knows he's 32. It's, it's, it's do or die time. So I don't know, man, it's, it's close. It's on my avoid, but I also say maybe dog or pass. Like, you know, if I'm, if I'm doing degenerate shit and just throwing a couple bucks on, on certain fights to keep interest, my couple bucks would go to Dan Moret in this case, even though minus 140 is low enough to play for the guy I'm picking to win. Just because I think he's, he's athletic. He, uh, is going to be able to land his shots. Uh, Moret doesn't have the best defense. White has serviceable, which is being super kind, takedown defense when he's against the cage, but he can get stuck there. So even though I can see him defending the level of takedown that maybe will come from a Dan Moret, I could also see him getting stuck there too, right? And neutralized and nullified and frustrated. So it's going to be a tough fight. Uh, I barely slide toward White here, guys, but it's on my it's on my avoid list for that reason. Um... All right, recapping here. I have Junior Dos Santos beating Derek Lewis, but uh, I'm, I'm avoiding any plays there. I, I don't suggest you guys play that one too heavy unless you're on the dog. I've got Curtis Melinder, the favorite, beating Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos. Uh, I love myself some Brazilian Elijah Duskew, and if you're playing the dog, I don't blame you, but it's not that juicy enough. This is too close to a fight. Avoid, but you know this is uh, this is I'm on I'm on Melinder there for what it's worth. Uh, I'm on Tim Means versus Nico Price. Uh, I'm picking Tim Means and I'm on him. Uh, I got Ben Rothwell beating Blagoy Ivanov, but be careful there. Either way, that 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 that's that. Yeah, you gotta be careful on that one. Uh, I'm taking Benil Daryush over Drew Dober, but I don't think I'm gonna play anything on that one. So careful there. Um, I'm taking Tim Bosch, the the barbarian baby, the real the OG over. Omari, Dirk Dirk Jihad, Ahmedov. Uh, and I actually played Jim Bosch. I'm on, I picked Animon Jim Bosch. Difference there, folks. Listen to the language. All right, and taking Anthony Rocco Martin over Sergio Moraes, but oof, no plays there. Dog or pass, if you ask me. Careful, folks, but I'm on, I'm on the favorite Rocco. Uh, taking Yana Mama Kunitskaya over Marion Renault, but that's a tight fight, folks. I don't blame you if you're on the dog or pass territory. Uh, I'm taking the dog in the next fight, Erosa, over Grant Dawson. I don't suggest you jump off that cliff with me, but I'm actually thinking I'm gonna gonna sprinkle on Julian Erosa here. I don't know if I mentioned that before. Bueller, Bueller, uh, gonna take Jeff Hughes to repeat uh, in the rematch over Maurice Green, possibly by decision again. Um, but that's on my, you know, I'm not I'm not playing that fight. All right, uh, Luis Smolka picking him to beat Matt Schnell, I'm playing Luis too. Some chalk on there. I got Alex Moreno beating Zach Otto, and I'm going to play Alex Moreno as well, which I'll recap here in a second. And I've got Alex White defeating uh, Dan Moret. Um, no parlay pieces. Official straight plays is Bosch, plus 115, one unit. Moreno, minus 175, uh, and a 1.175 unit. Smoke up, minus 125, 1.175 unit. Props I played was means inside the distance, plus 120. And sprinkles on Bosch, round two, plus 550. And round three, plus 900. Official avoids are Rothwell even off, even though I may sprinkle on Rothwell here. Uh, Dawson Arosa, although I just admitted I may sprinkle on Arosa. I don't suggest you jump off either of those clips with me. Those are on the avoids list for a reason, folks. I'm just being honest because I'm a degenerate. 
White versus more red also on the avoid list, uh, as I stated why, and so is green versus hues. Um, boy, next week it looks like we're going to have... God, I hate the new UFC website. It's like so fucking flashed by. That UFC.ca got fucking nixed on us, so now we're stuck with this. Thankfully, still got people sending me a buy. Shout out to you, Mr. John Morgan, as I pull up the events as I'm getting blind by this flash. Oh, Tilbert's Masvidal, it's that one, huh? I'll definitely have a write-up and a video for that. Uh, let's use the comment Leon vs. Gunner. We'll definitely have a video breakdown for that. I don't know if I'll do a written for that or not. But that's what you can expect next week. No, Bellator. Ooh, Ozdemir vs. Dominic Reyes. Dangerous fight for Ozdemir, man. For that, it could be uh, expecting to show up even though Dominic Reyes is the door closed. We'll talk more about that card later. Good luck this weekend. Apologies for the late episode as per usual. But the changes you are seeing will be felt through this podcast sooner than later. They're already being felt through my performances, hopefully. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, as far as, uh, you know, energy-wise, I know last week wasn't that great. Hopefully it's better this week. So good luck with your picks and plays. And, of course, always protect the unnecessary.